Mac Power Users, episode 419, Tweaking iOS. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie? I'm well, David. How are you? I'm great. You know, I was, uh, we, we, we recorded the show with Rose early because of the international dateline, and I don't know, there's a lot of stuff going on. But the... Uh, Time travel. It's been a week and a half since I've been in front of the microphone with you, and I'm getting itchy. I'm, I'm really glad we were able to record a show today, because I was starting to, starting to, you know, I don't know what I was going to do. Maybe I'll just stand in front of my mic and talk to the, you know, to the birds in the backyard or something. That's always an option. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the show. I, I think I originally pitched this idea a couple of uh, months ago, and, and we finally gotten around to it on the agenda of talking about iOS settings and all of the tweaking that you can do. This this kind of stems out of, a, 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 I don't know if you want to call it a horror story, but a experience that I had setting up my, my iPhone 10 from scratch. So I, I have a lot to say about this topic, but... As with anything, before we do, we we have a couple of announcements. Yeah. Uh, first of all is the Chicago meetup is still progressing. Uh, we've got about, I think, 70 people signed up, something like that. Uh, there's room for a few more. So if you want to go and you're going to be in Chicago, please sign up. We'll put the, uh, the link, the Eventbrite link in the show notes. Uh, I can't wait to go. Uh, so I'm going to arrive that day in the afternoon and just go and have fun with Mac Power Users listeners. We had so much fun last year. I wish you would come if you're anywhere near. Uh, uh, the folks over at Mac Power are nice enough to to pay for the grub and the room. So, you know, all you got to do is show up with a smile on your face. Well, and, and get a ticket. Oh, yeah, get a ticket. Go name for event. I think I'm going to talk my daughter into coming. She's coming to Chicago with me. She wants to go visit a bunch of museums. So if you see my daughter there, just tell her that, that her father is kind of cool. I mean, because she never hears that. I'm not sure she'd believe you, but, you know, help me out here. <laughs> All right. So the tickets are available on, on Eventbrite. That just lets us give a, get a, a headcount to the establishment. We're doing it at Bar Louis again. They were they were awesome to work with last year. So And thank you again to Mac Paul, the makers of Setup, for, for, for helping us out with that. Uh, the other thing, if you happen to be in town for ABA Tech Show, that's why David and I are going to be in town, if you're the lawyer type. Uh, David and I are sponsoring a Taste of Tech Show dinner on Thursday. I'm sorry, we're not sponsoring, we're hosting uh, a Taste of Tech Show dinner on Thursday night. Um, we're calling it the Mac Power Users Mingle, I guess, because they just have to have cutesy names for stuff. But really, it's just a dinner with a small group. I think we're going to an Italian restaurant. I don't know, but it'll be fun, too. If you want double the David and Katie you can go both nights, go Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah, you do have to be a, an attendee of, of the ABA Tech Show and register through them to go to that dinner. But but if you're curious, you can do that. Uh, one one last thing. I've been doing now for a couple of years off my website at maxsparky.com a, a newsletter. It's a monthly newsletter. It goes out at the end of the month where I uh, always share kind of the most interesting links from the blog from the month. And uh, whatever I'm doing outside of the blog, I share links to the podcasts and, you know, screencast stuff I've been working on. And I always write a, an opinion, an original opinion piece or two that gets included in the newsletter, too. It's uh, It's been very popular, but I hadn't talked about it on the show for a while. So if you'd like to hear what I'm up to, head over to MaxSparky.com. In the right column, it's a thing that says sign up for the newsletter. And I'd really appreciate it if you did that. So uh, go check it out if you'd like. All right. 
Well, let's dive in. Uh, And as I mentioned a little bit in our preamble, one of the reasons that got me thinking about having a show specifically on on tweaking iOS settings is I think it's one of those things that a lot of people just kind of set and forget. Most of us migrate our iPhones and our iPads from year to year, you know, just with an iCloud backup or an iTunes backup because it's so easy to do those things. And, you know, we maybe change a setting here or there and we don't really think about these things too much. And it wasn't until this past year when I got my iPhone 10 that I decided for whatever reason, and now I'm kind of second guessing that decision, that I was going to set up my iPhone 10 from scratch. And I don't know that there was a great reason to do that. One was that it had just been a really long time since I'd set up an iPhone from scratch. Uh, another was that I was having some trouble with with push notifications that I couldn't quite seem to solve. And, you know, just generally, if you're having some random hairiness, the one of the troubleshooting tips they tell you to do is, oh, just, you know, set your iPhone up from scratch and don't restore from a backup. So... I set my iPhone up completely from scratch. And one of the things that that showed me is just how many tweaks and settings that there are in iOS and flips and knobs that you can turn to really customize your experience. Yeah, you know, every year we do a show on the new version of iOS when when it gets released. And we talk about the big features and how we're using it and how we think Mac power users or iOS power users can bring into their lives. I feel like we never really have enough time to get into the settings. And that's so often where they make just little changes that can really make your use of the device better. So we we got talking about it. And we we're like, you know what? There's a whole show in this. Let's just take apart the settings and talk about how to use them. And we're also going to share a bunch of our favorite setting tweaks for iOS. And uh, both Katie and I have a bunch to share. So I think this will be a fun show. Right. And I should also tell you, we're going to cover some of them today. Uh, but there is an excellent thread in the Facebook group where um, I think we've got like 80 plus comments in there already where people are sharing their tips and tricks and and what they've done in settings. And uh, again, we'll try to hit some of the highlights, but that's a great place to contribute. If if we don't hit your favorite tip or trick or setting uh, in iOS, that's where, where you can go in and share some of the love. Um, that's I do want to start, though, with setting up um, an iOS device from scratch. And, and maybe my experience with that has has jaded me a little bit. But do you do this as a routine practice or, or do you generally restore from backup? And, and what is your take on that? Wait, Katie's jaded about something? Yeah, you know, it doesn't take much. My heart is broken. I don't want that. No, I, I don't do that. I, I used to. I mean, uh, the, you know, go back and Mac Power Users Archives. And that used to be the question we always answered for listeners who were coming from PC to Mac. They're like, how often am I supposed to wipe out my hard drive and start over again? That It's just like a thing it used to be on the PC. Like every six months, you had to go like nuke and pave it. Um, uh, iOS, I don't think that's really necessary. Uh, uh, but Katie does make a good point. If, if your phone is just acting weird, uh, I would suggest maybe going into an Apple store if you're near one and just have them check it out for you. But but one troubleshooting method is just to, to take it down to ground zero and start over again. That being said, I honestly can't remember the last time I did it. It was probably around the iOS 8 days, maybe. Um, and when I get a new device, I just restore it from an old device. Uh, so I don't even, you know, I don't even do that when I get new hardware. I just always, you know, just continue where I left off. And I, I don't really have much of a problem. Um, I, I will tell you that I 
especially after my experience, I'm not sure that I recommend this either. Uh, Again, unless there's a very specific reason to. In thinking back, I'm not really sure that it solved my my problems that I was having with push notifications. Oh, that's the worst. I know. You, you go like, through oh, all that pain and no. it still doesn't work. Oh, um, my gosh. Let's talk a little bit about what happens when, when you set up a, a device from, from scratch. First off, I would recommend if you decide to do this, still make a backup of your device so that, that you can, can restore everything if you decide that you want to. Uh, but what happens is is these days, all of your apps have to be manually downloaded and restored anyway. Uh, particularly since the latest versions of iTunes don't store copies of your apps. That happens anyway. But the big thing is that all of your settings and information are are reset. And I will tell you my experiences. It can take um, days at best and potentially even weeks or never to get your device back to, to what I will call normal status. And you can certainly go through and within the first couple of hours, get you back to a fairly, a fairly standard baseline of up and running. You know, you download your most frequently used apps and um, you, you get your settings set up, you get your email set up, you get your contacts set up. I mean, it, it does not take long in order to get yourself back up and running and working. But I will tell you, for, for days and if not weeks, I was constantly finding things of, oh, yeah, what about this app? Oh, yeah, what about that app? Now, on the flip side of that... You can argue it can be a really good reason to clean house. I think especially all of us in the Mac Power Users realm uh, tend to get a little sloppy. We we tend to download a lot of apps that perhaps that we, we don't need. And one of the things this did was it allowed me to reclaim a lot of free space on my device because I was only downloading the apps that I, I really needed and used. I am still to this day finding apps, you know, months later that I haven't downloaded because I, I really found that I, I didn't need them anymore. Um, yeah, but, you know, that's not really a good reason to nuke and pave. If you feel like you've got too much app bloat, there's a real much easier solution. Just open up your folders and go through and make the jiggly icons and start deleting apps. And if you can't think of a reason to keep it, then you should probably delete it. And that then you don't have to go through the whole process again. Right. So, but so I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say about that than you can set up a device from scratch. It's not horrible. Probably the worst thing is losing your settings, but I wouldn't do it unless you have a reason to. Yeah. And just let it go. Uh, I guess a couple other tips I would give you when you do that. One of the first things I like to do is open the photos app, because if you've got a lot of photos stored, it takes a while to kind of download all of those. And maybe this is just a, um, a superstition on my behalf, but if I open photos app, it seems like it starts downloading them right away. It does a lot of that stuff in the background. If I don't open the photos app and a couple days go by and I open the photos app, it doesn't have the photos downloaded. So, um, while you're going through that, you know, the pain of, of, um, of loading stuff on, you might as well get that started as soon as possible. Well, and let's keep in mind that a lot of this stuff has to be manually downloaded, not manually, but perhaps manually downloaded and reloaded, regardless of whether you set up a device from scratch or you restore from a backup. Because even if you restore from an iCloud backup or an iTunes backup, um, a lot of your data is still being reinstalled fresh from the server. So let's talk a little bit about what happens when you restore from an iCloud backup. Uh, that is probably the easiest method of restoring, and it's it's Apple's preferred method. It's definitely the method that Apple is pushing people to these days. And that's the only way I've done it for a long time. Um, do you want to talk just for a minute about the USB backup thing, or you want to do that later? 
No, we can we can talk about it now. Um, you typically though have to choose iCloud or or USB. You're not going to your phone is unless you have a third party app that I want to talk about in a minute um, installed. Your phone is not going to automatically back up um, to both. Once once you choose an iTunes, um, whether you want to automatically back up to the Mac or automatically back up to iCloud, that's what it's going to do. Now, you can always choose to manually back up to the Mac, um, but once you choose to, to make your backups to iCloud, that's what it's, it's going to do from now on. And the advantage of the copper wire uh, back up to i to iTunes is that it gets your passwords. It does, but iCloud does now too. Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay, so I didn't even realize that. Uh, and the disadvantage is you got to plug in a copper wire, and you've got to do it every time you want to make a backup. Whereas iCloud is making that backup every night, if not more often. Um, I do want to plug two um, an app and then a um, a free version of the app that we've talked about before. Um, that is iMazing and iMazing Mini. iMazing Mini is the free version. iMazing is the full version. What the mini version will allow you to do is it's a little app that will will sit in your menu bar, but it will allow you to schedule backups of your iPhone and your iPad to your Mac on a regular basis. So much like how iCloud will back up once a day when your iOS device is connected to power, locked in on Wi-Fi, uh, you can also schedule iMazing to do this for you. And so, for example, I have iMazing scheduled to to back up wirelessly both my Mac and my iPad. Uh, I'm sorry, both my iPad and my iPhone to my Mac uh, on a regular basis, and to keep like I think it's the last week's worth of backups. It kind of works a, a little bit like Time Machine does, and and it's a, a way of giving you more fine grained control. I think the backups are actually restored through iTunes. Um, but it's it's a way of allowing you to have your cake and eat it too. It's a way of allowing you to have those iCloud backups that happen automatically to iCloud, but also if you want the local backups still to have that happen as well. Yeah, but but I, you know, in my opinion, I, I think at this point iCloud is safe enough that that's a great way to do your regular backups, and and that's the way I've done it now for for years. And it's really nice just knowing backups are happening. And it's even better with my non-geek family members who would never plug their iPhone into a computer. It's hard enough getting them to back up their Macs to like a, a plugged-in hard drive. Um, but it's really nice now that we can see um, how easy it is to get that data back whenever you get a new device. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what actually happens when you restore from an iCloud backup. Um, the big thing is that your settings and accounts are restored from the iCloud backup that you choose. And so having those settings and accounts like your, you know, for example, the big one that I can't stand, keyboard clicks. Did you know that keyboard clicks are still a default setting from Apple? That really bugs you, huh? That just drives me crazy. Um, but if you've turned those off, like any reasonable person would... Uh, if you that setting will automatically transfer over from your iCloud backup, um, as as well as all of your accounts and your settings and now your passwords as well. Yeah, and uh, all the cool tricks we're going to share on the show with you know the custom settings, all that stuff just automatically updates. Now your device will restart, but then it will begin downloading your purchase content like your music, your movies, your TV shows, your apps, your books, your photos, and any other content that that you've purchased. Or if you're an iTunes Music, or I'm sorry, an iTunes Match or an Apple Music subscriber, that stuff will start downloading um, as well as well as the photos that you have stored in iCloud. So David's tip of make sure that you open the the Photos app, make sure that you open the Music app. 
let that stuff start downloading. And, and you want to do this when you're on Wi-Fi and uh, probably when you're close to power because it's it's going to take some time. It's going to take some bandwidth. Yeah, it's ideal. Do it when you're at home after you get your new device. Plug it in, you know, set the Wi-Fi up and let it just go and leave it there overnight. And that gets most of your stuff restored. Uh, it's it's interesting. People people often think that when they do this iCloud backup, that it's like Apple's making copies of their apps and everything. It's not. It's it's making copies of your unique data, and then it's reassembling the data on your phone with the common data, like the apps. Like you're not getting a separate version of OmniFocus backed up, which is what happens on the Mac when you do a cloud backup service. If you do, if you put your apps folder into a, a you know backblaze or carbonate or any of these um ba- uh, cloud-based backup services it's just sending the ones and zeros through the internet to that backup service the one with the iphone is a lot smarter it, it knows the stuff that apple already has possession of and then it only backs up the stuff that that they don't have like your personal photos or whatever and that can be a little bit of a problem because one thing you should be aware of um, is that if your content is no longer available, perhaps you've downloaded an app um, that's been pulled from the app store. Um, and it, it depends on, on how it's been pulled, whether the developers just retired it or whether it's actually been removed from the app store. That may no longer be available to download again, which is why a lot of people were upset when Apple you know, removed the ability to restore apps from your iTunes the the vast majority of them usually are still there, but you just don't see them in the app store. But if you've bought them, you can re-download them. Uh, but but there are some that disappear. So if you've got something special, you know, be aware. Um, what else happens? Oh, it, it, it seems like it takes forever, but they do give you a progress bar. It's it's on the home right below the home screen icons. Right. So as your apps are, are downloading, you'll you'll see the apps, but um, you can prioritize them. So one thing that I always do, for example, and this is especially important, like if you're at an Apple store and they've replaced your phone and, and you're at a place where you've got to just download your critical data and then leave. Or like me, you've got to download your critical data, leave and then get in the car for two hours and go home. So you, you know you're not going to have a full backup. Uh, you can prioritize the apps that are being downloaded. So um, if you tap on an app, it you can prioritize it to either stop it downloading or make it a priority for downloading. So, for example, when I when I restore a phone from an iCloud backup, I'll tap on my most critical apps. Like One Password is probably the first one that I tap on because once I can get One Password, then I can get all my One Password data downloaded, which then gives me the keys to start unlocking other apps. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Mac Gurus. Mac Gurus is a support and service consulting agency that directly helps small businesses use Apple computers in the workplace. There's a lot to the Apple ecosystem, and if you're using Apple for business, there might be some areas you need help with. Maybe there are things you think you could do better, or maybe you just feel like you're not making the most of your Apple products. Mac Gurus can help. They offer full managed deployment solutions for small and mid-sized Mac companies. Their goal is to foster the use of Macintosh computers in the workplace through strategic problem solving. And Mac Gurus offer a curated App Store service. They provide Mac users with a curated list of safe and secure third-party updates for your Mac. It will supercharge your productivity and help you get the most out of your computer. The updates are tested for security and stability before they allow subscribers to download the update. Think of them as your own personal testing department. 
All the apps downloaded via their app pass through a rigorous set of safety and security checks, so you know you're in safe hands. If you're a small to mid-sized Mac company, head over to macgurus.co slash mpu now to get 25% off the monthly app store service when you use the code power once again that's m-a-c-g-u-r-u-s dot c-o slash mpu and code power for 25% off thank you so much to the mac gurus for their support of this show so katie we talked about kind of getting started with a new device or restoring a device uh, what about some situations where you're setting up a device for somebody else? I, I think there's a couple scenarios here that we should give a little bit of time to. Yeah, uh, I think the first one I want to talk about is maybe setting up an iOS device for, for children. And this is something we, we've we talked about on a few past shows and maybe even something that I, I think we've got some signals may improve or may change from, from Apple in the future. Um, Apple says that the restriction, well, we have restrictions on iOS and, and they're good. Um, they are perhaps a little more basic than I would, would like them to be. Um, Apple has said that they've, um, are, are going to be looking at this as an area of improvement and they do have new features and enhancements planned in the future to, to make these, um, restrictions more robust. So I, I am looking forward to seeing what Apple can do with this in the future. Um, but if you're getting ready to hand a device down to to a child or set up a device for a child, um, know that under settings, general and restrictions, there are ways that you can um, set up a phone or an iPad to disable access to certain apps or disable the ability to do things like install apps or delete apps or make in-app purchases or or any variety of things. Uh, most of this is accessed under general restrictions, and I, I feel I'm glad that Apple's improving this, but I feel like they've done a pretty good job so far uh, in terms of of limiting access. There's a lot of controls. I mean, uh, you have the privacy settings, uh, like you were saying. You can even li- uh, limit it from individual websites if you've got a, a young child that's that's hitting websites in particular that you don't want them on. You can limit those. I mean, there's other ways to do that too. We've talked about on the show in the past. But on device, you can limit the website. Another good one I think is really useful with kids is, and I, I saw this with my own kids, is you give them a pair of headphones, they turn the volume up too high. They just do it. They're they're doing long-term damage to their ears. They, they're too little and, you know, they just don't understand what they're doing. Uh, you can even set a volume limit in these settings. Um, I kind of wish that's the, I don't really feel the need to do these settings when I have teenagers, but I almost wish I could put a volume limit on their phones at this point, because sometimes I hear them across the room while they've got headphones in. And I know that's bad. Well, the other thing you may want to do if you have teenagers uh, is number one, set the volume limit. But number two, also, you can uh, force do not disturb while driving uh, because I, there is so much distracted driving and I, I won't get on my, my soapbox, but this is something that I've I've turned on for my own personal phone, and and I feel better about it because I did not realize how often I was glancing at the phone when stopped at stoplights or those types of things, and just having do not disturb while driving up and and having everything blocked, uh, it honestly makes me feel better about a whole lot of things. I may have to talk about it some other day on the show, but uh, a listener sent me a link for a um, Apple CarPlay device that would work in my Ford. Okay. Uh, so I upgraded. I got uh, our CarPlay. Man, that's great. Huh? <laughs> See? One of the advantages of it is you don't look at your phone because uh, the way mine is, my phone actually goes physically in my glove box where the cable is now. So uh, there's just no tempting at all uh, with the phone. It's great. Uh, yeah, I actually have my phone now on a center console because that's where the um, 
that's where the the little plug comes out for it. Uh, one thing uh, on uh, setting up for children under the accessibility settings, I forget the name of the feature. I was trying to look it up quickly. I didn't put guided access. Yes, there you go. You know what I'm talking about. So when you've got little kids, uh, you set up guided access, and uh, I do it on three taps of the home button, and my, I have it on my home on my iPads around the house, and. Um, I have a different use for three taps for the phone, which we'll talk about later in the show. But uh, whenever we, because we have a lot of little kids in our family and they come over and sometimes you want to entertain them. And if it's okay with the parents, I've downloaded some, some phonics apps and some basic kids apps and I'll let them play those, but I always turn on guided access and that prohibits them because kids intuitively know to press the home button so they can get out of there and go find YouTube or something more fun than phonics. But if you turn that on, it just doesn't work. It doesn't allow them to escape the app in essence. It's a great, I think it's one of the best parenting tips for an iPad that you can give because, uh, you know, th that way the kids, as soon as they realize it doesn't work anymore, then they just go back to playing phonics. They don't care and they're happy. Um, and uh, just a very easy setting to turn on under accessibility. And for all the kids in the back of the car listening, the way that you turn off guided access, uh, well, we'll stop there. No, well you, well, you really can't. I mean, like I've got it on three taps, but if the kids if they manage to hit three taps, all of this is give them a password prompt so they can't get out of it uh, without the password. So you're, so you kids in the back, get back to your phonics. Stop listening. <laughs> um, I want to talk, uh, and, and you're the better person to talk about it, although I know your kids are, are older. Th there are some uh, restrictions for children built in now with Apple's family sharing that, that we've got a hold of. What, what can you do now with family sharing that, that you can't do with just the restrictions pane in the iOS? Boy, you got me there, Katie. I we set up the Eero system, and I went ahead and paid for the uh, the yearly um, subscription service, where we've got all of the you know bad internet stuff blocked at the Eero level. So I have not gone real deep on fam additional family sharing limitations. They have improved family sharing in a lot of ways. Like for instance, now we have one main account where we share a pool of data. I don't have to pay for every member of my family anymore because of you know Apple's figured that out. Um, but, um, I'll, you have to let me come back to you on the, uh, on additional limitations of content. All right. Well, I, I can help you with that a little bit. Um, I'm thought, thought I was tossing you a softball. Sorry about that. Um, one of the things that you, you can do with family sharing is limiting purchases. So what you do is you, you set up your family and you give them an age range for, for your kids. And so if your kids want to buy something off the family account or if they want to buy a, an in-app purchase or if they want to buy uh, an app, it, it then goes and it asks for permission um, from the master account to do that so that you, you don't have to worry about getting all of those extra charges for, you know, I don't know, what, what do you buy, coins or, or these other things in the app? Gems, whatever, yeah. I, I find my wife is the biggest violator of that policy, though, so <laughs> I don't know. Disneyland Zoom Zoom. That's her nemesis. <laughs> um, the other thing it, it allows you to do is it allows you to keep track of where everybody is with um, with uh, find my friends and and find my iPhone. Yeah, that to, to me, uh, you know, it's interesting. My kids kind of grew up; they're ahead of the curve a little bit as these features came in. When they were little, the phones didn't really. First, the the phones are too expensive. But when they're little, they just didn't have them. And then as they got older and the phones became more accessible, they were kind of aged out of the need of a lot of those services. Uh, but it, it's very clear with us and our house that, you know, the phone is a right and not a privilege. So um, 
I'm sorry, I got that wrong. The phone is a privilege and not a right. <laughs> so uh, uh, find friends has always been a condition of, of dad paying for your phone bill. Find friends is always turned on. And, uh, you know, if suddenly we got a bunch of bills for buying additional gyms that um, I'll be happy to put you back into a flip phone, you know, for the remainder. So, Mike, I've just never had a problem with that stuff with my kids. I've been lucky. Um, what about um, just handing down an old iPhone or an old iPad? Wasn't it Darren Boss who was on our show? It's been a little while now who who had a link on basically how to take an old iPhone or iPad that you had and, and turn it into a glorified iPod pod touch. I think it was Darren that did that. We'll have to look that up and put the link in the show notes. But but that that is a case where you may want to nuke and pave and just go back to zero and start over and keep it simple. And and you can basically just take an old iPhone or, or an old iPad and um, remove the SIM card and, and it will work on Wi-Fi. Those are uh, usually after it's been activated, but but those are those are options, too. Um, but anytime you want to yeah, hand down an old iPhone or an old iPad, uh, you do need to turn um, find my friends off and you you do need to erase the settings and then reset it up for a new person. Hey, uh, while we're talking about setting up iOS devices for other people, um, another category of setting up iOS devices, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners have gone through this, is setting it up for non-nerd friends. And when I say that, I'm thinking not necessarily about the older members of our family, but even just like, like in my case, my sister, who is not technically savvy at all, but got an iPhone. And she hands me the box and says, here, brother, please set this up for me. Well, um, what do you typically do when you when you set up a device for non-nerd friends? I know I kind of have a checklist that I go through. Yeah, well, I, it's, I think our checklists are very similar looking at the outline. So let's just start hitting it. The, the first thing you want to do is turn on Find My iPhone. That's something that um, a lot of people don't have turned on and it can be a big help. So it's very easy to go into the settings. And we're going to talk through the settings later in the show. But I think that's a that's a mandatory one. And then the other mandatory one, you want to cover the second one? Yeah, the other one I do is I automatically, we've covered it, turn on uh, iCloud backups. And and I, when, when I set it up for them on that, it, this, this is something Apple does that kind of makes me a little nuts, is that they don't give you enough iCloud storage. I mean, I, I get that they do the quarterly results and they show how much money they're making off, you know, uh, services. And this is part of services, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we're spending, up some of us, up to $1,000 on these phones. Out of the box, there should be enough storage there that all my pictures can be backed up. I, I just feel like this is something they need to revisit. And the technology has advanced and their pricing model really hasn't. And I understand also that, you know, I'm not trying to be too negative. I hear that sometimes. But uh, it's just, you know, they've got something like $200 billion in the bank. They could afford to be a little more liberal with the data policies. But in the meantime, they're not. So when I set one up for a non-nerd friend, I just tell them, I don't tell them as a question. I tell them as a fact. Like, my sister got a phone. I know how many photos she's got on the phone. And I buy the appropriate iCloud storage plan for her when I set the phone up. Like, uh, my she needed a, was a 200 gigabyte plan based on the number of photos she had or whatever. I think it was that around that tier. So I said, oh, it's going to be $4 a month for all your storage. She's like, well, what, do I need that? And I'm like, yes, you do. <laughs> and, you know, you know, let's just push the button right here and you'll get a charge, you know, two or three dollars a month and don't worry about it. Uh, but when I'm setting it up for somebody, uh, it's just like the old days when I'm setting up an iMac and I would tell them you have to have a hard drive when I show up to set up your iMac so we can set up your backup. It's just not a question. And th I find that the easiest way to handle that problem. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I wish Apple would be a little more liberal with their storage space. I, I also wish they would offer you the ability to pay for this annually because there's just something about being pecked to death every month with a 99 cent charge that just irks some people. But, but you know, like in the case of my family members and friends that I set up iPhones with, they love the photos thing so much. And I know us geeky nerds can have fiddly little problems with it, but in large part, photos works. You take a bunch of pictures, you go look at it on your iPad or your Mac, and they're there. If you've got an Apple TV, you can see them on your Apple TV. Um, this stuff was really hard a few years ago, and now Apple kind of has it as a solved problem, especially for non-geeky folks who don't get super fiddly about this stuff. And all they have to do is pay enough money to make sure they have enough storage so it works. Um, I wish they didn't have to pay that money, but I, I just insist that they do when I'm setting up the phone for them. I'm kind of a jerk, aren't I? I don't know. I, I think the other thing you should seriously look at setting up for them, and it goes hand in hand with this, is um, setting up PhotoStream. Um, be, because a lot of people aren't going to plug their phone into their computer on a regular basis. And with PhotoStream, particularly if they have a Mac with photos in it, especially if they aren't buying the storage for their for their photos, you at least have a shot of their last 30 days of photos getting uploaded at some point to their Mac. Um, I, you, you did you did the photos field guide. Can you refresh us on how that works? Yeah, I mean, it's just a setting in there. And and I, actually, you don't need PhotoStream if you're going to pay. Like I was talking about earlier, you pay for the storage, turn on iCloud photo storage, and you're done. Right, but assume I don't pay for the storage. Yeah, then it, then it puts it up for 30 days. I think it's up to 1,000 pictures. I don't know what the number is. It's been a little while since I looked at the limit. But they've got a, a they've got a hard limit in terms of number of photos. But basically, it keeps the stuff there for 30 days. But but honestly, I, I really feel strongly that um, if you're going to be using the Apple Photos stuff, just pay for the iCloud storage. And um, it's real, I guess it's really easy to spend everybody's money. But it, it's just so much easier. When we first started doing this show... We would get listener emails almost weekly of somebody with a tale of woe about losing photos because, you know, back then it was iPhotos. It wasn't synced through the cloud. You would take pictures with your camera. Then you'd have to go plug your camera into your computer with a copper wire. You know, then the iPhone came out and it was the same thing. It was even worse because people would take a year's worth of pictures with their phone. And because Apple kind of had wireless things down, uh, it wouldn't. They wouldn't sync the photos over to their computer for you know six or seven months, and then their phone would fall into the toilet and break, or they'd lose it or whatever, and the photos were just gone. And we we heard from so many listeners about this problem, and we just don't get those emails anymore. And I think it's because of Apple, you know, having put this whole system together. So my advice is, if somebody if you're setting up a phone for somebody else, just pretend like that's the only way it can be done. I mean, I. I yeah, you know, I, I almost like hesitate to say, well, if you don't want to pay, we can do photo stream and it keeps photos for 30 days. But it's just, you know, something's going to go wrong. They're going to lose pictures. So, you know, just do everything you can to push people to just to pay for the storage. And I, and I wish Apple didn't charge so much. Or I wish they didn't charge at all, frankly, for it. But there you go. All right. I hear you. Is there any reason not to turn on photo stream? No. I think it gets confusing if you turn on PhotoStream with iCloud photo storage, though. I don't think you need it. I disagree. I, I think you do. I don't think there's any reason not to turn on PhotoStream, but I don't think it hurts anything because I have PhotoStream and iCloud photo storage, and I haven't had any problems. Yeah, but it, it one solves the problem entirely, and one kind of solves the problem. That's that's the difference. The I, I'm just talking about when you're 
giving it to your non-geek friend. Um, the other person thing you can look at, and we'll, we'll talk about this a lot more in the show, is you know look at the person that you're setting up a, a phone for. Are there any special needs that that we need to address with the individual person? Um, I know that I have set up phones for uh, a lot of folks. I've set them up for my parents. Uh, my grandmother has an iPhone. She got an iPhone. Um, we have we have. I think we only have maybe one or two apps on it. We, I, I'm so sorry. We, we have the AOL app on the phone because. Um, wait, wait, wait. There's an AOL app. There is. <laughs> there is. There is. The, the AOL. Does it say, it does, does it say you've it got does, mail if it you does. open it? And, and, oh, that's and great. That 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 solved the problem. That's all. You laugh. That solved the problem for us. So we have two apps on the phone. We have um we have Instagram and we have the AOL app. And and the reason is I I. All of her mail is is in the Apple Mail app. And um, we got her an iPad and she was just like, she just didn't like it. She didn't like it. We couldn't figure out why she didn't like it. And I asked her, I said, well, what what about it don't you like? And she said, it just doesn't tell me when I have mail. There you go. (laughs) Well, you know, when when my mom was alive, the hoops I jumped through in order to digitally share pictures to her so she could look at pictures at her house as we were taking them of the kids, you know, she loved seeing the pictures, but you know, I would have to drive and visit her in order to show her new pictures. And she really wanted to see them right after the event, but you know, she's been gone several years now, but now it's really easy. uh, If you were setting something up for somebody where you could have shared pictures, that's something else I think would be nice. Do take a look in there um, at uh, larger text, bold text, um, button shapes, on-off labels. Those are a couple of things in the accessibility settings uh, that are pretty common to turn on. Yeah, and and we're going to talk about the magnifier later in the show. But if you're setting up for an older person, setting up the accessibility magnifier, which we're going to explain later, they're going to love you for it. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Fracture. Visit Fracture.me and save 15% off your first Fracture order with the exclusive code POWER15. Fracture is the photo decor company that prints your photos directly onto glass and adds a laser-cut rigid backing so they're ready to display right out of the box. They even include a wall anchor so you're ready to go. All you have to do is upload your digital photo, pick your size, and you're good to go. The Fracture process makes the color and contrast of your photo really pop, and the sleek, frameless design lets your photos stand out while matching any decorating style. And Fracture prints make amazing, unique, and thoughtful gifts. I have a bunch of Fractures in my home and office, and I love them. In fact, you may know that I just recently became an aunt, and my niece is the cutest thing in the world. Recently, she came over to visit me in her Star Trek onesie, so she is a little engineer. I took the cutest picture of her with my iPhone and knew immediately that I needed a fracture for my desk. Well, not long after, it was feeding time, so as I was feeding her with one hand, I was able, with the other, to take my photo with the fracture website, upload it on my iPhone, order a fracture for my desk, and within a couple of days, it had arrived, and I get so many compliments on it. It is that easy. Fracture's goal is to help you take those photos that would have just ordinarily sat in your camera roll or perhaps be shared in social media and then poof, be gone, and help you turn them into amazing gifts or photo artwork for your home or office. And all of the Fractures are handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. source materials. Fracture is a green company 
operating a carbon neutral factory or fractory if you prefer. So head on over to fracture.me and save 15% off your first fracture order with the exclusive coupon code POWER15. And don't forget to select Mac Power users in their one question survey when you check out. It really helps to support the show. So thanks to Fracture for their continued support of Mac Power users. All right, I feel like we've been talking about uh, settings in the abstract too long. I want to get into the weeds with you. All right. Well, I think one of the places that we have to start, because it's been something that, that we've been yammering on for about, is I want to talk about all the sounds that your phone makes. And and that can be both, you know, when it rings, but but also all the notifications. So I want to talk about any time that your phone makes sound. What about that? Because you and I are, are big proponents of, of maybe maybe limiting that to some degree. So let's start maybe with with ringtones. One of the questions that we've gotten quite a bit and I've seen often in the Facebook group is, hey, iTunes did something. Where did all my custom ringtones go after the most recent iTunes update and how do I get them back? All right. But first, we have to know, do you have a custom ringtone for me? I do. Yes. What is it? It's the uh, Mac Power Users theme music. Yeah, I did the same for you. Oh, <laughs> I was hoping you'd have something, you know, fun, like the, you know, the, the, the dun 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 Klingon theme, but no. Wait, wait, there's a Klingon theme? It's kind of like Wars theme. Yeah. How's it go again? Dun 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 dun. No. Okay. All, All right, right. That is okay. I'm going to capture that. Yeah. Note to there editor. You go. Just send me that. There you go. And that's going to be my new ringtone for Katie. All right. Everybody feel free to, to share. Uh, no, okay, yeah, it, it used to be, uh, iTunes used to be a lot more clear with where the ringtones were, and it was something that you managed more on your Mac than um, you do now. I think Apple's kind of taken the approach that a lot of people aren't plugging their phones into iTunes anymore, so uh, they're trying to kind of break free of that. I'm not exactly sure why they needed to break free of it, though. I feel like you could have allowed for people to manage it both on your Mac or on device. But it seems like they've kind of taken the approach that we're switching off the Mac and, and back to the device. So so where do you keep your ringtones? Well, if I, let me just say, if you had some and they disappeared, they're, they're not actually gone. Uh, they're still in your iTunes media folder under ringtones. You can still find them there. So, so find them, grab them, and, and put them in a safe place. And the way that you can get them back on your device, because they probably, the next time you sync, they won't sync over, uh, is just to manually drag them there. That, that M, is it M4R file is the, is the ringtone file. That's it. So once you get them, find them, save them, and then just grab them and drag them onto your phone when your phone is plugged into your computer. And, uh, and then they'll be on your phone and then you're fine. Now, of course, you can buy ringtones from Apple. That's Apple, what, what Apple would prefer for you to do. And that's an option too. Yeah, they're quite expensive, though. Well, I mean, they're 99 cents. I mean, they're they're expensive if you think about them in terms of you're getting 30 seconds of something. But I haven't checked. Is, does GarageBand still have the ability to export ringtones on the Mac? I think so. Yeah, they did forever. And I just haven't had a need to do it for a while. But the uh, uh, so you can take any snippet of music like the snippet of Katie singing the Klingon theme, put it into GarageBand and just highlight that section. And there's an easy way to export that to ringtone, which will get it on your device. Or I'm sure there's a Klingon theme that you can just download from iTunes and it'll be fine. If there's no way it would be as good as you singing it, Katie, honestly. I think everyone would agree with me on that. Uh, we'll probably get a cease and desist from Paramount now. <laughs> I have, um, I have, of course, downloaded a bunch of Star Wars ringtones that I did pay for. I've also made my own. I put it on the website at one point. 
I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for that at some point. I just took a bunch of um, audio I found on the internet of BB-8 and turned them into ringtones. Uh, there's some other ones I would recommend if you're interested in nice ringtones, because it seems to me like a lot of ringtones are terrible. You know, like you sit in a meeting and suddenly the uh, the guy next to you's phone starts singing Ringo Starr or something really loud, which is, you know, if you're, I don't know, there's a lot of jobs you have where you, you really can't get away with that. Um, I found this great set of ringtones called Clear Tones. They're at cleartones.net. And uh, a couple of years ago, a guy, I, I, you know, the guy emailed me who made them at one point, I don't remember his name, but he went into a studio and just got like a set of marimbas and actually real, you know, acoustic instruments and made these very kind of minimalist ringtones and they sound beautiful. So I, I installed a bunch of those and I use those too. And people always ask me where, the, where I got them when they hear my phone ringing. So uh, that would be something worth checking out. So is that your ringtone? Something you got off of Cleartones? Uh, yeah, most of it. That's my, my, I think he has one called my favorite, which is, which is the, the, the ringtone I use most often. I mean, it's like, which is your favorite. It's called my favorite. That's That's what I'm saying. So it's clearly your favorite. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But, uh, he's got a, he's got a lot of interesting ones and they're, they're done really well. So that, that's a good source. But I mean, you, you look around the internet, you can find them. Uh, the interesting thing is how many people use custom ringtones versus how many don't. I I feel like there's like an age thing where you get to a certain age and you just don't bother anymore. I I still do it because I'm a nerd, but, um, but I feel like uh, a lot of folks, uh, that's something you do. That's kind of a young man's game in a lot of ways. So I have a custom ringtone as well, but I wanted a custom ringtone that didn't sound like a custom ringtone. So I do you remember the the TV show 24, you know, Jack Bauer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 24. Um, they had in CTU these, um, I, I think they were, they were, they were Cisco phones that made a, a very distinct ring. And um, they actually sold, I, I bought it for 99 cents, I think, on the App Store. It, it was called the, the 24 CTU ringtone. And so <laughs> when my phone rings, it sounds like it. And it's just really a Cisco ringtone, I think, from, from that era when the, when the show was, was popular. But, um, but there it is. So that's, that's my ringtone. And then when, when people hear it ring, the, you know, nobody gets it. It's, it's just a, it, it just sounds like a, you know, a business ringtone. But it, 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 I know, I know that it's the, from CTU. That is a little part of you inside. feel like that then you have to go kill a man. Yes, it does. And my, um, my, my text ringtone is the, uh, communicator chirp from the original series. It just goes, you know, boop, boop. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. I, I have a BB eight for my text ringtone these days, but it, uh, it, when it comes to the audio sounds, my phone makes, uh, everything is always in motion. <laughs> I get bored and change them up all the time. And you know that you can have different ringtones and different text tones from different people. Yeah. So like if I get a text from my wife, I could have it make a different sound. Right. Like, like she, I, BB-8 I, can make a very happy sound. Yeah. I, well, I used to have it do SOS because she used to only text me when like there was like a big problem, you know, like a claxing going off because she wasn't into texting. But now she texts me a lot. So I had to change that. I can't do that. I can't have SOSs coming at me two or three times a day. Too stressful. Well, and and so different ringtones for different purposes. I can't believe we're having a whole discussion on on ringtones on Mac Power users. But I think I think you're expanding your uh, your horizons, Katie. I'm I'm actually impressed that you've let me go this far with it. Yeah, I mean, I do have, have ringtones for for certain certain family members that are song snippets and all. But but one that I I do have is um I have a I have a monitored alarm. So I and I, when when that goes off, I I want to know. And also I I have elderly. Um, 
grandparents and they have, you know, the button that you push that will, will call a, a panic button that will, will call a help center that if something happens and I'm, I'm on the, the list for who gets called for that. And so that has a very distinct, I think it's actually called alarm. And I think it was one of the standard Apple ringtones, but it is loud. It sounds like an alarm. And if my phone ever started making that noise, which, which it has, um, someone will come find me, you know, like if it's sitting on my desk and, and I've actually told people, if you ever hear my phone making this alarm, you know, come find me. And so not only have I set that alarm ringtone for those very specific people, um, I've also used a, a feature in iOS now called emergency bypass. And I want to talk a little bit about um, emergency bypass versus do not disturb. Um, emergency bypass is a feature that will allow you on a contact by contact basis, allow your phone to make either a ringtone or a text tone, regardless of the state that your phone is in. It doesn't matter if it's on silent. It doesn't matter if it's on do not disturb. It doesn't matter if you flipped the physical mute switch on the side, regardless of whatever state your phone is in. If you get a text and you've turned on text bypass, or if you get a call and you've turned on call bypass, you can turn those each on independently from each other. Your phone is going to make a noise. So you want to be very careful of how you use that. You know, so for initially, I thought, oh, I, I want to turn on emergency bypass, like for my favorites. I want to turn it on for my mom and my dad and my brother and David. And and then all of a sudden, I started getting calls in court. And I'm like, why is my phone ringing in court? I didn't realize that emergency bypass would even bypass the the vibration switch. And once I figured that out, I was like, oh, no, that's that's not what I want. So I still have emergency bypass on, like for the panic buttons, you know, for for if the alarm at the house is going off or, it, you know, if the I've fallen and I can't get up button has gone off. But instead, for, for people who I just want to get notifications from more frequently, those folks I have in Do Not Disturb. And I think Do Not Disturb, we're a little more accustomed to. And what Do Not Disturb will do is it will allow um, alerts and rings from people to come through, even if your phone is in Do Not Disturb mode but it will still honor the the ring or the silent switch on your phone. Did I do a good job of explaining that? You did, except you didn't say how you turn emergency bypass on. Okay. So emergency bypass is turned on by a contact by contact basis. Um, th there is no global setting for emergency bypass. You, you actually turn it on. Um, if you go to the contacts and you edit the contacts details, you turn it on where you would set up a ringtone for them. And then you'll see a little switch for emergency bypass and you individually choose emergency bypass for calls and emergency bypass for text. You kind of have to dig for it. Yeah, which is good because you you really, I, I can't stress this enough, you do not want to set this up for everybody. Or if you do, you know, you do set it up for people, you, it may be like a time limited thing. You know, like when my, my sister-in-law was in her ninth month of pregnancy, I turned this on, you know, but I didn't want it on all the time. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, if you're using that stuff and you're occasionally going into something where you truly cannot be interrupted, uh, turn your phone off for that. I mean... I don't know. I guess it kind of defeats the purpose, though, of this emergency bypass. If grandma pushes the button and you turn your phone off, it's not going to help much. And then, you know, the other thing that I've, I've started doing is in certain occasions, that's where the Apple Watch can pick up is just, you know, leaving my phone somewhere else and then taking my watch with me. But of course, your watch either has to have a, a cellular connection or, or you have to be close enough. 
And there are ways to get through the do not disturb. Um, you know, if they call repeatedly, you can set it so it gets through. And, you know, there's, if they're on a certain list, they can get through. Um, well, so we talked about sounds. Let's talk a little bit about notifications in general. I uh, uh, wait, back... be- Before we, we move from that, I, I do have two quick things I want to add. Um, with do not disturb, it can be engaged a couple of ways. Um, one is do not disturb can either be engaged manually from control center. Um, or it can be engaged on a time basis. You can set that up in your in your do not disturb settings. So, for example, you can set do not disturb to run from you know 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um, you can also set a group that is excluded from do not disturb, like say your favorites or say a specific group in your in your contacts. So, so those are things. Those are those are worth tweaking. Those are those are things to be aware of. Um, the other tip that I want to talk about as we're talking about sounds before before we move on to to notifications is um, don't underestimate the power of the silent ringtone. Do you have a silent ringtone? No, I don't use it. I, I just put it on vibrate. I mean, why, why do I need a silent ringtone? Well, there there are some reasons you might want to consider having a silent ringtone. You you can either make or buy. I don't know why you would buy one. You can just make one. Um, a silent ringtone. And use that ringtone for people that you never want to hear calls from. If there's someone that you're you're trying to ignore. Um, I mean, you could, there are times when you just don't want to hear from someone or you don't want to get a text from someone and make that their silent ringtone. That explains why I haven't been able to get you to pick up my calls lately. Mm-hmm. You're being ignored with a silent ringtone. Uh, if you want to have fun with that, get yourself one of those mosquito ringtones where it's the pitch that like kids can hear, but adults can't. Are you familiar with this? Mm. No. Okay. Well, apparently, as you get old, like many things, uh, your eye, your ears break down, and they cannot hear certain pitches that you can as a child. And I thought that was was nonsense. And then um, I was testing it. You know, this is a couple of years back, and I had it up on my computer, and I turned it on. I, I downloaded the they called it the mosquito pitch or something like that. I put it in. Uh, iTunes and I put it on and I hit the repeat button. I guess it was on a loop and I didn't realize it was playing. And then we were eating down. I couldn't hear anything. We were downstairs eating. My kids was like, what is that noise upstairs? <laughs> you know, and they could hear it. So, uh, so kids use it all the time. Uh, they put it on their phone. So, uh, their parents can't hear the ringtone of their phone up in their room or wherever. And then they can, so they can know that the phone's ringing. They can go get it without their parents knowing what's going on. So, uh, that's something to be aware of. Beware parents. Okay. Yikes. Yikes. All right. Um, the, uh, we, so we're talking about ringtones. I want to talk about notifications. Uh, I, I, I hear this so often from listeners who write me and say, I like the iPhone. I hate the notifications. I don't understand why Apple makes the notifications so bad. It's not really Apple doing that. They, they, they created this notifications mechanism. And for some reason, every app developer uh, well, I guess I, this is for some good reasons. They want their app to be at the front of your notifications every time you use it. And it doesn't seem to matter what kind of app it is you download. If you download an app to identify fonts, uh, it wants to send you notifications, if, you know, no matter what the purpose is. So as a result, you open your notification center, you see a million notifications of stuff you're not interested in. This is another problem people have when they get their first Apple Watch because by default, the setting on Apple Watch is send a notification the watch that you get on your phone. It, it mirrors the notifications. And people say, well, the Apple Watch is great, but all it does is tap me all day with notifications I don't care about. Um, so this is my pitch to all of you. And I give you permission to pause the podcast after this segment to do this because it's so important. 
go into your iOS settings, go to the notifications tab and just do an audit. Go through each one that has notifications turned on and ask yourself if you really need it or not. And I bet you will find that at least two thirds of them you can turn off. Uh, it's very granular. So when you go in, you can say, I don't want this to get a badge app, app icon. Like that's another thing I do. When I look at my home screen and I see a badge uh, icon, uh, icon, often it's in a folder. So I'll go and track down what app it is that's giving me this notification. And unless I absolutely want that in the future, I just take make a point to go in settings, notifications, turn off the badge app icons. But sounds, notifications, lock screen, they give you all this this granularity. The one thing I wish Apple would do, maybe we'll get this with the next version of iOS, is to give you a way to, to go across the board. Say, I don't, you know, turn off badge app icons and everything unless I go and manually turn them on as opposed to having them on seemingly everywhere. Uh, but but do yourself a favor and do a notification audit. I, I did a screencast on this a couple of years ago that's still relevant. We'll put a link in the show notes. It kind of shows you how to do it. It's not that difficult, though, honestly. You just got to go through. It takes a little time. Uh, it, it, you know, I think you could probably do the whole thing in 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I'm not saying that you could do it on the toilet, but you probably could. Um, okay. Now we just take it a whole nother turn there. <laughs> All right. Um, are there, cause I have a couple of, of, of ideas here. Uh, let's talk about a couple of, of key areas to highlight with notification, because I, I think there are a couple of vendors. I, I think you're right. I think if you just, if you just go through that, that you'll find a lot that you can you can probably audit and get rid of. I, I think a big area that you can audit that has some granularity is um, email. And we've talked about this extensively on our on our email show. But I think if you go into email, uh, one thing to pay attention to is you can set notifications separately for VIPs than you can for other other email recipients. Yeah, if you're going to pick one, that's the location is VIPs. That should be the only ones you let through, honestly. Um, I will tell you as a general rule, I have a badge on for almost nothing. Yeah, like for honestly, for for email, I have no notifications turned on for email. That's just entirely turned off. Oh, see, I have VIPs turned on. That's it. The VIPs are the only ones I've turned on for notifications. I'm I'm really cracking down lately on this stuff. I I don't want to be just like when you're talking about do not disturb. Before a point I wanted to make, but I forgot to say is uh, you put it in the control center. Uh, you don't have to just use do not disturb when you're driving or going to bed. If you want to sit down and work for two hours uninterrupted, just go to control center and turn on D&D on your phone. It'll it'll block calls. It'll block notifications. It's just one more way to allow you to focus on your work. Um, but I I tend to go through and I just just flatly turn off notifications for for as many as many things as I as I need them for, because I, I mean, I really I, I really don't need them can. Um, can you think of any other areas that are that are big ones that that people might miss some some granularity on? Well, I think a, a good way to if you've already gone through and done the audit like we just talked about and you got rid of a bunch, that's that's a start. And then the second thing you do is wait two or three days and then then pull down notification center and then just scroll through it and see what are the notifications coming in. Now, now that you've done this, you know, what are the apps that are sending you notifications every day? Like I'm scrolling through mine right now. I haven't gone through them in a few days. Um, I have like two or three notifications per day for the last week total, you know, for each day. And that's that's good. But like if you go in there and you see one that's got like a, you know, a million notifications to you, you find the violators. Like if you missed a game and suddenly it's, it's spamming you with notifications two times a day, that gives you just another way to go find, you know, that app and notification settings and turn those off. 
Yeah, you know, just as we've been talking, I I try to make it a rule that as an app is installed, that I try to deny it notification privileges if I can. Um, but but sometimes you do have to to add them in to to get the app to let you do, and then you can always go back in and 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 uninstall them. So. I, I will tell you the one app that I always let have notifications through is the App Store badge, the App Store, because I like to know when my stuff's coming. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and that's that's but see, that's the point. Once you get good at this and you really narrow down the notifications, looking at notifications is not a chore. It's just like having too many due dates on your task list, right? If you have too many due dates, you got a million things. You don't know what's truly due. When you limit the notifications to the stuff that's truly important to you. And you look at Notification Center, everything there is relevant and important, uh, as opposed to having uh, the, the few important notifications buried in between 30 other notifications, and then you never actually see them. So uh, it actually makes notifications way more useful to you if you do this. Yeah, a couple of other tips that I, I would give you is um, go through and you don't have to automatically mirror the settings from your phone to your Apple Watch. So for example, I, I let many more notifications come through on my phone, although I wouldn't say many. I, I do let many more come through on my phone than I do on my watch. I am much more aggressive at slashing notifications on my watch than I am on my on my phone because I really only want the most important notifications on my phone. Or, I'm sorry, on my watch. The other thing that I will tell you is... Um, be aware of if you have multiple apps that do the same thing. For example, I have three calendar applications on my phone and I like them. I use them all for different purposes, but I only need notifications. I like to have calendar notifications of upcoming events. I only need notifications for, for one calendar. And I happen to get notifications uh, from the, from the Apple calendar uh, because I find advantage because the Apple calendar can hook into more things that, that third-party calendars can't. That's the one that I happen to use to get notifications because it goes to CarPlay, it goes to the watch, it does all of those things. I still use Fantastical probably as my primary calendar, but I still get notifications from the Apple calendar, and that's okay because they all use from the same data set. Yeah, and, and if you see uh, you're getting two notifications for the same event, that's what's happening. You've got two calendar apps that are, are feeding you notifications. So go and turn one off. All right. Anything else about notifications? Please audit. Please like audit. Like I said, this is, this is the point. You can pause, but you got to come back because I'll be really sad if you don't. But this is the point you can pause and go fix your notifications wherever it's convenient. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU in all caps to save 20% off your plan. I'm so happy to have 1Password as a Mac Power User sponsor because I believe so much in their product. I think everybody should have a password manager, and I think 1Password is a great solution. I think that's so much that I've shared it with my family. You may not know it, but 1Password has a family plan. With the 1Password for Families plan, you get the 1Password application in all of its various platforms for every member of your family. And not only that, you can share data. 
For me, this starts with sharing secure vaults. We've set up vaults in my family that we can share with each other. Now, not every vault has all of the family data. For instance, I don't give my kids my banking login information, but the Netflix password is included in the shared vault. This way, when I go through and make a change to any password, it automatically updates in their vault and they have access to it as well. Because I'm the family organizer for our one password for family plan, I can also help one of my family members recover their master password if they lose it. With the family plan, we have access to one password on the go with the web access through a web browser, and we always get the most up-to-date versions of the software. We even get one gigabyte of encrypted storage for specific documents we want, like copies of social security cards and insurance cards and things like that. I think one of the best points of having one password for families is I've been teaching my kids now for several years good password management and habits. Eventually, they're going to grow up and leave me, but hopefully they bring that with them as they go out into the world. Making yourself secure on the Internet is an important skill. I honestly believe they should be teaching it in school, but for now, you can teach your own kids by setting up your own 1Password for Families account. With a 1Password for Families account, you can cover up to five family members with room to grow. So head over to onepasswordcom MPU in all caps and get 20% off signing up your family for 1Password today. All right, so we talked about notifications. Let's move over to privacy and security. That's another thing in settings that uh, there's a lot to do. And it's easy to let this one run amok as well. well let's start with location services. You know, so what, what does that mean? Uh, uh, applications uh, can get access to where you are, and that can be useful to them. Like if you've got a navigation app, it needs to know where you are, so it can tell you where to make the next turn. Uh, this has traditionally been, you know, when Apple first added it, they kind of left the barn door open a little bit too much. And um, a lot of apps, once you gave them access to notifications, uh, would would be always reporting your notifi- notification back because it was just easier to write the app that way. I don't think it was necessarily creepy where they're trying to track you, but but in essence, it gave them the ability to do so. Uh, with iOS 11, Apple really clamped this down. In fact, when I was at WWDC talking to app developers, this was one area where they all were saying, okay, we're going to go check this out now because Apple has made it a lot more difficult or I guess reasonable, I think, from a user perspective as to how much access an app can get to your location. Right. Now, it's it's not necessarily all apps because I, I've seen some apps that haven't quite been been updated yet. But I think now the general rule is apps, if they're updated, have to play by three settings. Um, they can either use your location while you're using the app, which which makes sense for a lot of things. Um, they can use your app, your location always, which may make sense for, for certain applications that have a reason for for tracking you um, for location based things like find my friends or those types of things. Um, or they can use your location never. Um, so for, if you're, if you're using like, here's an example, like the, the red box, you guys have red box, you know, the, where you can rent a DVD, like in your grocery store, um, that might make sense to use your location when you're using the app, because it will show you, Hey, where's the, where's the closest red box to me? Um, but it doesn't need to use my location all the time. No, it doesn't. And, and now they've got it set in a way where you can control that. And if you go into those privacy settings, you can see exactly what permission you've already granted. And from there, you can turn it off or on. So it gives you kind of a, a way to go back and, and audit those settings and make changes as appropriate. Um, I have found, um, especially if you have any kind of public online profile, you want to be careful of metadata and photos. 
because you're it can be fun to have GPS information and photos. And I know, David, you're a big fan of GPS tagging or a big, big fan of GPS tagging your photos and seeing where you've been and, and, you know, tagging your location on a map and all those things. But especially if you're posting those photos online, you can also be inadvertently letting people know where you live or where you are or those types of things. Um, I actually have just decided, you know, I don't care that much about where my photos are taken and I have actually disabled location services for the camera app because I don't want that information in my phone. So you just have it turned off at the source. I just have it turned off at the source. And then I don't have to worry about if I post a photo to Facebook or Instagram or Twitter that that any of that is happening. Uh, and and that is something to be careful of because there is a ton of data in these pictures. Uh, depending on which apps you use, like um, I believe TweetBot and I'm almost certain Twitterific, which is the app I've been using for Twitter lately, uh, you can specifically state in there that there's no location data to be included with the photo you're going to attach to the tweet, or you can specifically include it if you want. But uh, that's what you want is apps made by people who are conscious of this and give the user some choice. I don't think you need to necessarily turn it off at the source, but that, that is the safest way to do it. I mean, you're not going to have any photo location data, but uh, for me, the, working in photos, I love having all that location data because it gives me just another way to slice and dice our pictures. Well, and as someone will point out, not not all apps respect that, and not all developers do. So just be be aware of it. Um, there there are apps that will allow you to remove that location data as well. Do you have a favorite you want to throw out? No, because I I don't I don't use any of them. I like I said that I only post with apps that that are respectful of that data when I want to remove it. Um, I think Photos EXIF is one that I use that will do that. So that's that's one you can look at. So anyway, uh, but kind of getting back to the point, when you open that location services tab, you're going to see a list of everything and, and they specifically state, you know, where it's, where you get the use. Like for instance, Apple store, my app, Apple store always has access to it. It's an Apple app. I think I'm fine, you know, uh, but there's other apps that, that don't need that. Like art authority is an app I use. I go to a lot of museums, you know, I got a kid who's getting a minor in art history. So we go to museums together. But uh, if you turn that app on and there's a museum near you, it's got some really cool features, but I don't need it knowing where I'm at right now as I'm making this podcast. So like you go through and you can make adult decisions as you go through which apps get access and which don't. And if you see something in there that has always on, that should be a red flag for you really decide if you need it. Like Google Maps, I will give always access because I'll use Google Maps as I'm driving around. And, um, you know, I guess now Google has a log of me, but I'm willing to do that to get their maps up. So you just make your, you know, make your, your grown up decisions as you go through that stuff. Yeah. The other couple of things you should be aware of is your phone typically knows where you are. There are a couple of things you can tweak in system services if you don't like this. Um, one that I have turned off is if you go into um, settings privacy, I think it's in location services and then in system services, you can disable location on location-based Apple ads. I have not seen this be a problem, but I just don't want advertisers getting, uh, I, I, I don't want ads custom tailored to my location just because I don't think people need to know that information. So I, I've turned that off. Although I have not really seen any Apple ads because I don't tend to buy apps that are, that are ad-based. I either just tend to buy them and not do that. But yeah, I turned it off. Um, the other thing that you can turn off, I personally find it helpful and it doesn't bother me, but it, it can be a, a 
an issue for some is frequent locations and system services. Um, this is how when I get in my car every morning, um, CarPlay pops up and says, would you like directions to work? Because it figures that I'm going to work when I get into the car about the same time every morning. Um, and so that's how it knows is because um, your iPhone is keeping track of, of frequent locations and, and, and where, where you're spending frequent amount of time. And, and you may be surprised with, with the data that it, that it has on you. Um, if that's information that you don't like your phone having, um, you can turn that off and, and you can delete the data that's in there. It's a big deal. This privacy thing is a big deal to Apple. They're trying to make it a selling point. And I, I do believe that the people at Apple generally you know, believe, you know, we're going to make money off you buying our hardware. We really don't want to know all your details, you know, or at least try not to keep them on our servers. Uh, so they've got a lot of granularity in that system services, uh, location services window. If you go uh, privacy, location services, system services, you'll see that you can turn a lot off on your iPhone that even Apple would get. So, you know, go crazy. Uh, the other place I think you should also be aware of, of, of privacy is in web browsing and Safari, the built-in Safari app on your phone gives you some options to, to do some of that. Um, you can block pop-ups in Safari. You can prevent cross-site tracking. That's a new, new thing in iOS. Was it, did it come in iOS 11 or did it come in a Safari update? I don't recall. Uh, I think it was 11 that that came out. Right. You can ask websites not to track you. I don't know whether they really honor that, but I figure what does it hurt? Um, and then ultimately, you can, although it's not a setting, you can, you can always consider um, a, a tracking blocker or an ad blocker. And adding the ability to add content blockers was something that Apple added in iOS 11. And Maps has some settings as well. Uh, like one of the things they featured, I believe this was an iOS 11 thing, is showing your parked location. You know, gives you gives the phone access to where you parked your car. Maybe you don't want that. You can turn that off. Um, uh, moving past kind of the privacy s stuff, though, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Today View widgets in terms of your settings. Do you use that much? Um, I do use the Today View, but I you do have to be careful with what you show on your Today View screen because you uh, you know if someone just picks up your your phone, um, they can have access to your Today View screen without unlocking it, depending on how your your settings are set up. Yeah, and that's largely managed through notifications. You know, I was talking earlier about how you can turn off the, the badges. You can also turn off what notifications show up in Today View or what level of information shows up there. Um, so that's that's something to look at. Uh, the other thing that I always recommend is is looking at, and, and again, this can just show how where some of these are, are buried. Um, if you go into messages, um, there's an there's an option to change off the the automatic reply with message. Um, I don't want my messages previews to appear on a screen. I don't want someone who's just looking at my phone because it happens to be sitting on my desk to see what my text messages say, to see what someone may have sent me. And likewise, I also don't want them to be able to pick up my phone and be able to reply to that message. Yeah, and that's a setting that's really easy to turn on now as Apple has got more advanced with the um, automated uh, authentication. Like, I have that turned on with my iPhone 10, and now I just look at it, it sees my face, and then it shows me the content of the message. 
Um, you can find a lot of these settings in um, in Face ID and passcode, and and some of these are have duplicate and du- duplicate or duplicate settings in, in duplicate places where you can access them. Um, another thing you may want to consider, um, I'll tell you, I personally delete my messages not not because there's anything in there that I would want to delete, just because for me, text messages are very short term things, and they they tend to add a lot of clutter, and I don't want those text messages cluttering up my phone, so I tend to delete them pretty quickly after I'm done with them. But you can also turn on auto-delete of text messages that will delete your messages after so many days. I think it's 30. And that can also save you a lot of space on your phone. Now, beware that if you have photos in there that you you haven't saved to your phone, um, that will also delete those photos. So this can save you a lot of space, uh, but it can also get rid of information that you, you may have wanted. And also don't think that just because you're deleting them from your phone that the phone company has now lost that record of that message. Yeah, that, this, this is true. I have... Uh... I have won several cases in my legal career by subpoenaing um, text messages from the phone company. <laughs> so that stuff is there forever. Um, okay, uh, touch ID and passcode. Let's just talk about that a little bit. Uh, I want to get into the fun stuff because I've got a whole bunch of tips I want to share. But um, while we're talking about settings, one of the nice things that touch ID and face ID allow you to do is have a bigger passcode on your phone than usual. I mean, by default, Apple has, I believe, is it now a five-digit number? It used to be four-digit, I believe. It's six. So now six-digit six, six number. number. Yeah. I say I don't remember because I, I use a long alphanumeric passcode on my phone. I almost never need it because Face ID works good enough. But the um, it's something to, uh, to, to consider doing because since you don't need to type it in as often, you can put a better, more robust passcode on your phone. And you set that right in that setting. Uh, there is the time bomb feature that I love. I don't know why. I think it's because I just grew up, you know, watching um, Get Smart and, you know, James Bond movies. But if you put the wrong code in 10 times, your phone erases itself. I, you know, I love that. Uh, I, I've said that as, as well. Um, may not be the best if you have kids because you can find your phone getting locked and then maybe ultimately erased. But yeah, it, it does lock the phone. You can't just like try 10 times and it, and the phone actually shuts down the time it sets a timer after so many attempts so the kid can't do it in like a minute it's the phone will get locked at some point but yeah you're right yeah um the other thing that that you want to be aware of is what does siri have access to and and what can you do um both on your on your home screen and through control center before you unlock your phone um do you have access to control center through an unlocked phone do you have access to siri through an unlocked phone be especially aware of this if you have HomeKit accessories. Can someone with an unlocked phone open your front door or open your garage door through HomeKit? Um, make sure that you have those settings set appropriately. Or send messages to family members. I mean, <laughs> you know, if Siri knows who your wife is and someone can access Siri, you know, you know, hey, you know what? Tell my wife, insert insulting statement here and you can get yourself in the doghouse. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Enter off code MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain name and award-winning templates and a whole lot more. So maybe you want to create an online store, a blog, a portfolio. Maybe you've got a club. Maybe you've got a business. Whatever you want to do, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. You've got nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. Squarespace just has you covered. And they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you easily grab a unique domain name 
all in one. Everything you need is right there on one site. And they've got these award-winning templates that are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas that are infinitely customizable. So you don't have to worry about your Squarespace website looking just like everybody else's Squarespace website. So, you know, I personally have used Squarespace for my personal website, for my business website. I've used it for a number of clubs and associations that I'm a member of. I cannot believe that Squarespace plans just start at $12 a month. I can't tell you how many colleagues and associates I know who are spending thousands and thousands of dollars on websites that look horrible. And I can make a website with Squarespace in just a couple of hours, maybe a weekend or an afternoon. It looks amazing, and it's so much more effective and less expensive when you use Squarespace. So do your colleagues a favor and give them a clue. Tell them about Squarespace. And when you decide to sign up or they decide to sign up, make sure that they use offer code MPU10 to get 10% off the first purchase and show your support for Mac Power users. So thanks to Squarespace for your kind support of the show. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. All right, Katie, um, we've gone through a lot of the basics. Let's talk about some of the ways we're taking advantage of these settings to make our phones more awesome. Yeah. So this is just kind of a no particular order um, grab bag worth of worth of settings that you probably want to turn on or, or might want to know about. Um, a big one now is, is, I can never remember, is it called two-factor authentication? What does Apple call the newer one? Let's just let's just call it two factor, which is what everybody calls it. I don't. I think they changed it slightly, but it's whatever the new mode of authentication is um, with with iCloud. But Apple has has in, uh, raised the iCloud settings. They're they're now at the very top of the phone in settings. But um, but you can go now in there in the iCloud settings. You can go into password and security, um, and it is called two factor. You can go in there and turn two factor verification on. Yeah. And interestingly, this is attached to your Apple ID. Um, you know, traditionally they were attached to your phone number and this removes that, which, uh, is pretty good. You know, um, I, I just listened to this morning on my walk. I listened to a recent episode of daring fireball, the talk show. I'm sorry, the talk show with John Gruber, where he was talking with, I think it was Marco, Marco Arment. Okay, so you've you've heard the show, yes? Uh, where they talk about how I didn't realize this, how easy it is to spoof a phone SIM card. So when you're using your two-factor authentication through a telephone number, uh, a lot of the bad guys will go into the local AT and T or Verizon store and tell some sad story and get you know the uh, the clerk who makes minimum wage to issue them a new SIM card with your phone number. Then they drop it in the phone, and then they've got your two-factor authentication number coming to them which is kind of terrifying when you think about it. Um, the Apple system works through the Apple system. It doesn't work through your phone number. So that's all the more reason to go sign up for this with Apple. Okay, I got one. This is, and I don't know, I feel like I'm now the uh, the aged member of our show. Uh, just turned 50, which is kind of crazy. But the, uh, uh, and I used to make fun of people that didn't always use the smallest possible font on everything they worked on on their computers. But I now find myself occasionally having trouble reading something. Uh, the other day, somebody asked me to read uh, the number off the back of an iPhone as we were doing an update. And I looked at it and I, I figured there was some text there somewhere, but I had no idea what it said. So I pulled out my trusty iPhone and there is a setting under accessibility for magnification. And I use it with three taps on my phone and it just basically turns my phone into a magnifying glass. It's super easy and it's great. One of my favorite features for uh, people that have a little bit of trouble reading small text, you can take a picture and even zoom it up further. I just love having that feature. I, I, like I said, I use it 
probably a couple times a week for something small text that I need to read. And uh, it's a great feature to have on. So even if you aren't using accessibility for anything, go ahead and turn on magnification mode. Uh, here's one that's it's pretty simple. If you go into settings and Wi-Fi, turn off ask to auto join networks because there are so many open Wi-Fi networks now that you really can't connect to anyway because maybe they've got a second layer of authentication. And it just ha- creates this slew of pop-ups on your phone and you're probably connecting to unsecure networks anyway. And just all kinds of bad things happen. Just join the networks that you want to join and do it intentionally. Don't just auto-join Wi-Fi networks just for the heck of it. Another one that's kind of cool is a setting that doesn't appear on your phone unless you sign up for a VPN service. Um, now, uh, what's it? Cloak has changed their name. It's, it's now Encrypt.me. And uh, so I, I am a subscriber to Cloak. I love it because I'm spending a lot of time in coffee shops. And if I want to use their Wi-Fi, I'm going to enable something like Cloak or Encrypt.me to make sure that I'm safe. Well, when you do that and you go into your settings, there's actually a VPN button right at the top that you can turn off or on very easily. And uh, I like having the access to that right in the settings. Yeah, and I think, doesn't Cloak have the auto-secure function that it will just automatically secure you? Yeah, yeah if, it's a, if it's a network that you have not specifically allowed, it turns itself on automatically. But as I was banging around in Europe, I, uh, I did uh, use uh, this uh, VPN fe- feature quite often, and it's nice. Yeah, Let, let's talk about um, emergencies, because that's something that we never know when is going to happen. We talked about this a little bit on our disaster preparedness show. Um, you can set up emergency contacts and emergency health information um, in, in the health app. And this is something that you want to go ahead and do now while you're healthy and while you're thinking about it. And I think that this is something that um, people are more aware about now, and so people are, are starting to look at it. So on the, the lock screen of your phone, there's an emergency button. And when you go to the emergency button, you can either make an emergency call. I've never actually tried to do that. Will it? I know it will call 911, but will it let you make another call? I, th- I think it's just 911. I don't know. Okay. But then there's also a medical ID. Um, and if you click the medical ID, um, it will give your date of birth. Um, you can think about whether or not you you want to put your your actual date of birth because a lot of people use their their act or, or just something close to that because a lot of people use their their actual date of birth for for other information. Um, you can make a note of um, medical uh, conditions that you may have. Uh, you can make a note of any allergies that you may have. Um, your blood type, you know, your weight, your height, um, uh, other information, whatever you want to fill out, you can put as little or as much information as you in, want in there, um, as well as emergency contacts. So you can say your mother, your father, um, your sister, your brother, your wife, your, whoever you want to do, um, you can add that information in emergency contacts. Uh, and I think first responders now know to look at that information. Yeah, they absolutely do. I've, I've talked to, uh, I represent a, an ambulance company. I was talking to them about, it. they're like, oh yeah, we get taught that. Um, and, and you find this in, uh, in the health app. That's the weird thing. It's not in settings. So I think this is one a lot of people miss because you've got to go into the health app and then on the right and the bottom of the screen, there's a button that says medical ID and you go in there and you can fill in all the information Katie just said. And, you know, a lot of people will put their weight in or, you know, basics. But if you've got a, a medicine that you're allergic to, please list it. And absolutely everybody listening to this, this is another one I give you permission to pause. 
go into the app and put in the contact information for two or three people that live near you that you would want them to contact if you were in a car accident and unconscious because uh, it makes everything so much easier for those first responders to help you out if you do that. And it just takes a minute of your time to go in. You don't even have to type in the phone number. You select the person and then uh, the app prompts you to say, well, what's the relationship? I can say, well, this is the person, this is my sister, and this is the phone number of her phone numbers that I want you to call first. And it does all of that for you. So Apple makes it really easy to, to fill this out. So please do. Um, that information that you add into emergency contacts also populates emergency SOS, which is a feature. I believe it's pulling from the same information, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's a feature that you can activate in in settings. Um, I do want you to be a little careful about how you use this because I I think that, that it can you can accidentally call if you're if you're not careful. Um, but I, at least on all the newer iPhones, certainly on the iPhone 10, I believe on the iPhone 8, and maybe on the iPhone 7 as well, um, there's a feature where you can create an emergency SOS so that if you press and hold um, on the iPhone 10, it's the side button and either of the volume buttons. Uh, to make an emergency call. And so I've got mine turned on where you actually have to slide um, the button to to call so it doesn't automatically call emergency services because sometimes, you know, if it's in your pocket or something like that, you can accidentally, you know, pinch buttons and, and not mean to. Um, or or And it will also, um, you can also specify to call your emergency contacts in the health app. And if you've got an Apple Watch and you long press the uh, the selection button, not the not the digital crown, but the button next to it, uh, there's a slider there that allows you to make an emergency call from your phone if it's connected to your. So that's another thing to do. I mean, it's just so nice to have that ability. You, know, you were talking earlier about your grandparents have the you know I fall and I can't get up button. You could do that with an Apple Watch, you know, if you wanted. Um, we talked a little bit about about do not disturb already, and and how you can you can tweak those settings. Um, we didn't really talk about do not disturb while driving. Um, those, I, I tell you, I have not been been super thrilled with do not disturb while driving, probably because I have a, a third party aftermarket stereo in my car. Uh, but do not disturb while driving is a feature that you can either enable manually or automatically. You can either have it set up when you um, when you connect to your car's Bluetooth, or when your iPhone senses that you're you're moving at a, a rate and speed where you're you're likely in an automobile. Um, obviously, if you have it do the one where your iPhone senses, it's it's going to engage even when you're a passenger in a in a car. Um, if you do the one where it happens when you connect to Bluetooth, it's it's really only going to engage when you connect likely to your car's Bluetooth, where you're more likely to to be the driver. Um, I found it hit or miss depending on the car, but hey, if it works in your car, it's probably gonna. Now you know it it works in your car. Um, I I really like the setting. It's something that that I would encourage you to to take a look at. I, I think there is room for improvement from Apple, but it's certainly a good first step. Something that I would turn on, and I would probably either force turn it on. You know, you can do that with the restrictions app, um, or require it to be turned on if I, if I had teenagers driving. Can we all just agree that text messages don't have to be responded to immediately? They do not. Yep, that's something we need to to get. Um, one a fun setting that I like is uh, giving Siri an accent. You know, when you go into the Siri settings, um, you can actually you can set the language that you're speaking with to it, you know, and like if you have a British accent, you want to set that because it hears a British accent different than it hears an American accent. But 
independently, you can change the accent that Siri has. Like when I turned my sister's phone, Siri, from a uh, the American female, which is the standard in America, to the British male, she suddenly started finding excuses to use Siri a lot more. So <laughs> find, a, find an accent that you like when you're going to listen to Siri. My HomePod speaks in a female British voice because we are all, Americans are all Anglophiles at some level. And uh, go have fun with that. Other things that you can you can do in settings. But before we get too far, because I know we're running out of time, do you want to talk a little bit about Control Center? Yeah, I do. With iOS 11, Apple did something really cool. They allowed you to customize Control Center. I guess my first question is, did you do that? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, it's great. So you just go in Control Center and Settings, and there's a bunch of buttons you can turn off or on. You can arrange the um, the order of the buttons. Uh, so, so what I did with mine was I filled up now we should, we should say only the buttons at the bottom. Yes. Like, so the standard like controls for Bluetooth and air, airplane mode and the, the, the brightness and volume, that stuff always takes up the top half of that screen, but below it is a room for a grid of about 12 buttons on the phone and more on the iPad. Uh, so you can pick the buttons. If you put more than 12, it actually scrolls down to see the additional buttons. But I, I try to keep it to 12. I don't want to scroll on my control center. But the uh, but I really kind of went nuts with this, and I use it all the time. Uh, you want to talk about your strategy? Let me hear how you're doing it first, Katie, and I'll, I'll tell you what I'm doing. Well, I, I don't have 12. I, I only have eight. Um, I kept the flashlight, which honestly that could go because the flashlight's on the home screen now. Um, I have the timer. Honestly, that could go because I always set timers with with Siri. Yeah, but a point with the timer is if you put any form of clock, timer, uh, stopwatch, or clock, it gets you into the clock app. So you can set all three. You don't need a separate widget for each one of those. You just need one of them, and you get into the clock settings. Um, I kept calculator because that's that's usually how I quickly access the calculator. Although I wish you could customize it to say which calculator because I prefer PCALC, but, you know. Um, again, I, I kept the phone icon cause sometimes I do grab the phone from there. Um, I, I have home. Um, uh, I'm sorry. That's not home. That's, um, yeah, it's home. It's the shortcut to the home app, uh, which allows you to, to get all your home kit stuff. And on that one, I would add that it, not only does that get you a shortcut to your most common use scenes and, um, and, and switches, there's a little home icon in the top left corner of that, that pop-up. If you tap that, that opens the home app itself for you. Um, and you want to be careful what you put in there because you do want access to your most recently used ones. But um, again, just be aware of what's in there. Um, you can also activate do not disturb while driving. So I've got I've got that one in there. Um, and then I have the um, the low power mode. I've got that in there. Yeah, I didn't use that one. I don't use that one. Oh, I do because it's just a quick way to, to turn it on. Um, and then Apple TV because I, I frequently use Apple TVs. And if I don't have my remote handy. Uh, that's a quick way to, to access the Apple TV remote. If you've got an Apple TV, that's a must have. Turn that one on because uh, especially, uh, I guess I, I keep coming at this show from the perspective of some of the teenagers, but they don't have any respect for where I want to keep my Apple TV remote. They all know, but they just don't put it there. So I uh, every time I sit down, I can't find the remote for the Apple TV, uh, but I can just use my phone. You scroll down, control center, tap the Apple TV button, and you're off to the races. And then most of these buttons can do other things. If if you long press them or, or 3D tap them, um, that you, you can uncover additional features. So what else do you have in your control center that I don't have in mind? Yeah, in addition to the ones you have, I have, I have put the camera app in there. I know that's kind of silly, but occasionally I want i don't want to put the camera app on my home screen and long tapping on that allows you to jump to different modes which is kind of nice and i use that 
Um, I obviously, because I'm a nerd and I do a lot of screencasting, I have the screen record button, which is a really cool feature that they have with iOS 11. The um, uh, I, I had to do a thing recently where I wanted to screen capture a, um, a capturing a receipt. And uh, you can do that remotely. You don't have to be connected to your Mac with all the stuff I usually use to screencast the iPhone. Granted, it'll put a little bar at the top, or if you're using the iPhone 10, it'll put a little kind of highlight on it, but that works. Um, the wallet app is something that I get into occasionally, but I don't want to have on my home screen. They've got a wallet button there, so I can just oh, get into the wallet very quickly. I mean, the whole the whole point of some of these buttons is just allowed me to get stuff off of my home screen. Um, if you want to adjust the text size frequently, we talked about that earlier. Uh, sadly, sometimes I need to crank up the text size in some apps. I can do that uh, from there. And also that magnification thing I talked about, I don't have it turned on, but this is another good one. If you're setting the phone up for somebody and you think that, you know, getting them to remember to tap the button three times to get to accessibility and magnification is going to be a problem. You can put that as a button right into the, um, right into the control center. And I also have one to create a new Apple note, which is nice. You know, I use Apple notes for capturing text quite often. So it gets me in, opens a new one and, and starts things out. Not as good as drafts, but you know, it's a good way to, uh, to get into Apple notes if you need. I, I, I use 12. I mean, I, and I'm, I'm moving around. Sometimes I take one out and put a different one in, but, but I, uh, I really like this feature. I like you. I really hope that with the next version of iOS, we can substitute apps. Like say when I hit the calculator button, I get a different calculator or that's actually not that that's one of the only ones I really need to substitute apps on. But, um, I think it would be a nice feature. All right, so we are about out of time. We're we're running running against the witching hour here. There's one final thing I need to ask you about in our outline. There's so much that we didn't cover, so I, I want to refer people back to the Facebook group to to continue the conversation there. But I got to ask you about the vibrate and ring debate. I wasn't aware that there was a debate. I th- isn't there only one right way to to determine whether your phone should be on vibrate or ring? But go ahead and tell me what the debate's about. Well, the, the debate is: Do you have it ring and vibrate? You know. Yes. Sometimes you vibrate if you have the the um, the mute switch on. Sometimes you ring, but when you ring, do you have it also vibrate? Yes. Okay. See, I I, I don't like it to do that. I I want it to ring or vibrate. I mean, that's the setting, but but it might mean I miss a call once in a while because, like, if I'm at Disneyland, I have it on ring and I don't hear it going off, it it'll go to message. Uh, what why what hurt what does it hurt to have it both ring and vibrate at the same time i don't know i just i don't like the purity of it just offends me somehow i don't know uh, while while you're offended you're also missing calls yeah but you know i'm not sure that's a bad thing it might not be okay i, I let me just hit a couple more can we just hit a couple more well i will well, while we're talking about the ring and, and vibrate thing um i i will also tell you that I am a big fan of why, why do people have their phones ringing all the time? We've got these, we've got these delightful ringtones. We do, but most people have loud, obnoxious ringtones. If, if you're in a public place, if you're in a waiting room or if you're at work, put your phone on vibrate. Everything you say makes sense, Katie, but I still sometimes just want it to make noise. I do the same thing with my Apple watch and it makes people crazy. Oh, I will tell you that when I, when I turn, when I walk out of my house at, for the day, I put my phone in vibrate, and when I walk back in my house at night, I put my phone in, in ring mode. I, that That is one area where I know Apple never will, but I, I wish that they would allow me to customize is is to have settings for my phone based on location. I, I think that would make so much sense. I, and you say they never will, but then part of me is like, why not? You know, it would just make so much sense. 
Uh, I just want to hit a couple more. I know we're almost out of time, but I'll go fast, okay? All right, well, rapid fire, hit them. Uh, okay, uh, in the settings, there is, if you're going to go ahead and turn on all the security stuff and you're going to have Face ID, um, generally the phone goes dark after 30 seconds. I find that not acceptable because quite often I'm looking at the phone as a source of data while I'm working on the computer. Same thing with the iPad. You can turn that up to five minutes. You know, make that as long as you're comfortable with, but you don't have to stick with 30 seconds. Yeah, be aware that that can impact uh, an OLED screen. I, I'm not that worried about it. I just don't think it's going to be a problem. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of settings in the iPhone storage uh, that has a ton of information about what's using all your uh, your storage on your phone. Just go on iPhone storage in the general settings. There's a lot of, I think there's gold in the, the just general settings if you just go through all of them. Um, the app refresh, the accessibility, go through all those, take a look because there's a bunch of good stuff in there too. All right. Well, I'm cutting you off. Uh, we can continue this discussion in the Facebook group, uh, which is a great place to find us. You'll find a link to the Facebook group um, at uh, uh, through at our website, which you can find uh, at MacPowerUsers.com or at Relay.fm slash MPU. Uh, if you have feedback for the show, that's the best place to put it. You can also catch us on Twitter. The show is at MacPowerUsers. I'm at Katie Floyd and David is at MacSparky. And we do want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Matt Gurus, who is our new sponsor this episode. Thank you to them for joining us, as well as joining Fracture, 1Password, and Squarespace. And we will see you all next time. Mm-hmm.